Scripture says there was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorath, son of Aphiah, of the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel. Huh? So we're going to have a debate now. Who's the handsome, most handsome man in refuge? Sure. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ladies, you better be saying your husband is, all right? Head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. One day, Kish's donkey strayed away, and he told Saul, take a servant with you and go look for the donkeys. So Saul took one of his servants and traveled through the hill country of Ephraim, the land of Shalisha, the Shalim area, and the entire land of Benjamin. But they couldn't find the donkeys anywhere. Finally, they entered the region of Zuf, and Saul said to his servant, let's go home. By now, my father will be more worried about us than about the donkeys. This morning, I want to preach on this topic. Backward or forward? Backward or forward. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. You've already spoken to us through spiritual gifts, but now I believe you're going to speak through your word, Lord. And I believe that spiritual gift was a timely word for someone watching online or in person here. But this word is going to build on that. And it's going to, Lord Jesus, give someone some direction and peace and strength and maybe even challenge us a little bit today, Lord God. So let our hearts and minds be open, I pray. Not only those of us here today, but those watching online, either live or in a later version, Lord, an archived version, we pray in your name. Amen. See, the nation of Israel wanted to be like other nations. Uh, other, hu other nations, they had a human king, and so they wanted to try and have a human king. So God, he wanted to be their leader, but they weren't having it. And so God said, fine, I'm going to give you what you want. You want a human king? I'll give you a human king. But right before the, uh, the prophet Samuel anoints Saul, this very man, this young man who's the most handsome in the land of Israel, to head and shoulders above the rest, before he's anointed as the king, it starts with showing us this picture of this young man who's out because his dad said, go look for the donkeys, the donkeys are missing, okay? And so it's amazing how many times we think that we're just wandering through life aimlessly, and God has you on a path to anoint you for the next season of your life. If you're an animal lover, I'm not going to stay on this story long, and I know some of you might be very concerned and wonder what happened to the donkey. Let me just put you at peace and give you rest that Samuel later says, Saul, go back home. Don't worry. The donkeys are found. So the donkeys are fine. They lived happily ever after. I just... <laughs> I know we have some animal lovers in here, so I didn't want you to miss the rest of the sermon because you're wondering about the donkeys. So before he, before Saul, before he meets the man of God, he and his servant are wandering looking for these donkeys for about three days prior. And Saul's concerned about how long that they're looking. He's like, we got to get back home now. And so there's a saying go, that goes like this, though. How many of you heard this? You only get one chance. Are you serious right now? You only get one chance to make a first impression, okay? In Scripture, it's pretty interesting because if you were to go through the Word, I'm, I'm studying this in a book that I'm reading right now, first words, how, if you were to look through the first words of people, 
throughout Scripture. What are the first words that are recorded by God? What are the first words that are spoken by some of these people who have either failed God or have done well and become heroes of faith? What were their first words recorded in Scripture? Maybe it's just a coincidence, but oftentimes their first words can shed light on the rest of their lives and ministries. You may not realize this, but the passage we just read introduces us to this young man named Saul. The first thing we're told is he's extremely handsome. I mean, that's a cool thing. If you're going to die, have that on your, on your tombstone, like this was an extremely handsome guy. But it doesn't really matter, does it? But then it records the first words from Saul in Scripture. And Saul's first words in Scripture are this. Let's go home. Let's go home. They had been out on a mission. It was time to find some missing donkeys. And we get, we get a little bit of a picture of Saul. And granted, we're reading into it a little bit. But when you just read that, you kind of like, you get a picture of this, this mental image of Saul being just a little bit nervous, a little, a little bit insecure. He's wanting to get back to the house. We don't get that same impression when we read about his successor as king. When we read about this young man named David, he's out in the field as a shepherd, and he doesn't really seem concerned, like, I got to get home. He's like, there's a bear. I don't need no help. I'll go kill the bear, take care of the bear. There's a lion. I'll go care of the lion. Ain't no problem. I'll go take that. No issue there. He takes his brother's food. He says, hey, man, who's that big guy over there just talking trash to everybody? I'll go fight him. Like, you get, just get a little bit of a different understanding of David than you do of Saul. And so we don't see, David didn't have the attitude, let's go back home. David's like, where's the fight? I'll be there. Unfortunately for both Saul and the nation of Israel, when Saul became king, they believed in him. God even believed in him. But Saul never seemed to believe in himself. We see this immediately when he meets the prophet Samuel, 1 Samuel 9, 21. Saul replied, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least of all the families in that tribe. Why are you talking to me? So why, I don't see much for myself. I mean, after all, I'm from the little tribe. And out of that little tribe, my family's the smallest of the little tribe. Why are you talking to me? Doesn't sound like he exudes confidence. Doesn't sound like, you know, when, you, when you, they teach you, when you go into a job interview, shake a hand firmly, look people in the eye, ask good questions. Like Saul's not getting hired, okay? He's like, I don't really have much of an education. I'm from a small family and a small tribe. And like, he's not the person that you as a boss are going to be hiring. He took his insecurity with him to the throne, too. It wasn't just then. Even when it came to be proclaimed king of the nation, it comes the moment where he's going to be, it's public proclamation now. Saul is the king. And Samuel brings him forth in 1 Samuel 10, 20. All the tribes of Israel. Now he's not just in Benjamin. Now he's in front of all the tribes of Israel and before the Lord. And the ben um, Benjamin was chosen by Lot. And then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin forward. And, and, and Samuel already knew what was going to happen. But what happens is, and they finally choose Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. 
And so they said, they asked the Lord, where is he? And God said he's hiding among the, among the baggage. King James says, among the stuff. I mean, it's your day. You've already been anointed. It's going to be the public proclamation, the big ceremony, and, 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 and he's hiding. He's hiding out. Why? Because I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, and my family's the least of the tribe of Benjamin. And, and, so, and so he's just hiding out among the stuff when it comes time to step into his calling. How many times are we hiding among the stuff when we really should be stepping into our calling? Insecurity never breeds good things in leadership. That's not just a biblical topic. If you work in the corporate secular world, insecurity, anybody ever work for an insecure leader or manager? How was that? It's terrible. You don't feel like you can ever excel in anything because they're always feeling threatened. Church leaders... Department heads, ministry directors, don't ever be insecure. We want people around us that, well, if they question us, great, it's going to make you better. We don't want to be insecure. Bring in the best people you can, and they say, I have a great idea. I love it. What can we do to make it happen? So Saul, he felt insecure to be called by God, be announced as the king, to lead Israel, to fight Goliath, to face the Philistines in general. And when teenage David comes along and takes a sling and a stone and takes down Goliath, you know what? The Israelites experienced a great victory that day. David became an incredible military asset to Saul. And so things would go well until the parade when Saul has killed his thousands. But David's killed his ten thousands. Say what? That insecurity welled up again and he started chucking javelins at David's head. But Saul, he had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan was best friends with David, and he was also a great military warrior. Even though Jonathan was supposed to be the next king of Israel, he didn't look at David as a threat to the throne. He wanted to fight battles alongside of David. You see, insecurity will cause leaders to fight battles against their own army instead of the enemy. And that's what happened to Saul, but not to Jonathan. Look how scripture introduces us to Jonathan. First words, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go to where the Philistines have their outpost. Meanwhile, Saul had 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah and the pomegranate tree. Had, he's hanging at the pomegranate tree. His son is going, where's the enemy at? Among Saul's men were, was Ahijah, the, the priest, and who was wearing the ephod and the priestly vest. And Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, and son of Phinehas, and son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go between two rocky cliffs. It wasn't an easy, easy journey. He had to go between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sena. And the cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. And he said, let's go across the outpost to those pagans. 
Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps, I preached a message recently about that, perhaps, that's all he did, he didn't even, he didn't even know, perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing, you know, nothing can hinder the Lord, he can win a battle whether it's a lot of warriors or just a few. The armor bearer, this is the kind of armor bearer I want. This is the kind of guy I want to walk in, or gal I want walking alongside me. This is it right here. Well, whatever you want to do, I'll fight. Perhaps God will help us. Fine, let's go. Whatever you think is best, I'll be right there with you. That's the armor bearer. You see, Jonathan felt to go into this battle, and Scripture tells us that these two guys killed 20 men. Would you rather be the most handsome person in Israel, or would you rather be known as the fiercest warrior? <laughs> Come on, guys. You know which one I'm going to take. Take the fierce warrior. You keep your good looks. We don't know if we'll win, but we're fine. We're fine with dying trying. No doubt the armor bearer felt that type of confidence and trust in Jonathan because Jonathan had that confidence, not that insecurity and he was like, hey, God, hey, man, God don't need a lot of numbers. If me and you do this, let's just go and give God a chance to be God. Let's just give him a shot. That type of leadership is one that people want to follow. No one wants to serve under the insecurity of Saul. People want to be part of something that's moving forward because, you know, we just read, whether you realize it or not, is the first words of Saul were this. We get introduced to him and he says, let's go back home. The first words of Jonathan are, let's go forward and give God a chance. Two completely, right from the beginning of their calling and their ministry, of their life, they are headed in opposite directions. One is headed forward with confidence in God. And one is insecure because they're looking at self and headed backward. Saul's first words mired in him a, perpe a perpetual rut that prevented him from ever moving forward in the kingdom. And that mindset ultimately cost him the throne. Why am I saying this? Because God is calling someone here today or watching online. And he's trying to let you know he has a calling upon your life. But what's your mindset going to be? Is it going to be, let's just go back home? Or is it going to be, perhaps, I don't even know, perhaps God has a great plan. And if we move forward and give him a chance, maybe, just maybe, thousands of years later, there's going to be a miracle written about how we took down the enemy. Oftentimes, God calls us what, out of what is comfortable. You think about biblical precedent we have when you go back to the Old Testament. God called Abraham out of his homeland and out of his father's house. We read it in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. 
I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you, make you famous. You're going to be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless them. you and curse those who, who treat you with contempt. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. You know, God had, he had great things in store for Abram, who later has his name changed to Abraham. Just like he had great things in store for Saul. But notice in both cases, God's plan was for them to leave mommy and daddy's house. It's interesting. Right at the beginning of time, God says a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. Sometimes we just have too many mama's boys in the 21st century. Did I just hit something there? I mean, like, God had a design for men to be strong men. And not ones that, I just need to run back home. God says, I got a plan for you, Abram. But first, leave your father's house. So I got a plan. I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to hook you up with the prophet. I think I need to get back home. You see, when God calls us, it's often away from everything that's comfortable. Because God does some of his best work when we are uncomfortable. Because when we're comfortable, we're not looking for the supernatural. But when we're uncomfortable, we're looking for God to do the things that only God can do. But when things are just working the way they should, we're just like, thanks, God. I'm in mom and dad's house. Sometimes mom and dad need to make things a little uncomfortable to get little baby out the house. Man, I'm not trying to preach on parenting, but maybe the Lord's speaking to someone. Discomfort causes us to trust him more than we trust ourselves. Discomfort causes us to trust him more than, we dis, more than we trust ourselves. You see, God does his best work in the desert. It's where Moses was called. David developed his skills. John the Baptist carried out his ministry. Jesus overcame the devil. Don't, don't just hate the dry season. God takes you through wilderness experiences to get you ready for the next thing. But what happens is vows are often made in storms and forgotten in calms. Things are hard. God, I promise if you just help me. God, I'll never do that. Oh, God. And, and then things calm down and we forget what we, what we promised. Trust God through the storm, but then follow through when things are calm. Look what happened when God delivers Israel out of Egyptian slavery after 430 years. He has Moses lead them out of the land of bondage and onto their path of promise. But when they hit the Red Sea, Red Sea's in front of them, Pharaoh's army's behind them. You want to talk about literally being stuck between a rock and a hard place? I mean, they're there, all right? But look what the people say at that moment. 430 years of bondage, Red Sea here. Pharaoh's army here, and as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when Egyptians are overtaking us, and they cried to the Lord, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would have happened? I mean, at what point as a leader would you just have to like, shut up, quit talking? 
They just go on this diatribe, this long rant, and they're just like, we said, leave us alone. I mean, imagine you're the leader that just risked your life, walked into Pharaoh, delivered them from bondage of 430 years, and the first, and, 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 and then you're reading this, because guess what, guys? These are the first words recorded. First words recorded from the Israelites in Scripture after bondage. Right here. We told you to leave us alone. He said in verse 12, it is, it's better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. First words. And that sheds light because this attitude continued to plague them and they missed out on the promise. Numbers 14, why is the Lord taking us to the country only to have us die in battle? Another story. Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plundered. Wouldn't it be better to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Humanity is insane sometimes because they would rather live in bondage for another 430 years rather than having to walk by faith. Why are we going forward into the unknown when we can go backward and know what the next 430 years brings? I don't know about you, but I prefer to walk the path of the unknown, trusting God, not having a clue what's coming, and using the word perhaps a lot, rather than living in bondage to sin and having my kids live in it. And my grandkids live in it. And my great-grandkids live in it. When things don't go the way we want, we often get like the Israelites, though. Things aren't going, well, I'm just going to go back. We can't find the missing donkeys. Pharaoh's army's catching up. We're not getting to the promise fast enough. So what do we say? Let's just go back home. That's the attitude that keeps you from your promise. It feels safe, but hear me when I say this. God doesn't do miracles in safe places. God does not do miracles in safe places. He does miracles when humanity gets into a desperate place and there are no other answers and God steps in and says, now you're calling on me. Sit down and watch this. And that's exactly what he said to the Israelites. What are we going to do? He says, stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. And the Red Sea parts and they walk through on dry ground. God does like to show off sometimes. And so that's why when they got to that Red Sea, you know what Moses, what he told Moses in 14, 15, Exodus 14, 15, what am I supposed to do? These people are complaining. And God says, why are you crying to me? Why, why are you whining? New Living says, get moving. You know what King James says? Go forward. God called Abraham from his father's house, Saul from his father's house, David from his father's house, Jesus from his father's house. Then Jesus calls his disciples from their father's houses. 
Abraham didn't go back. He became father of the faithful. David didn't go back. He became a man after God's own heart. Jesus didn't go back. He saved the world. The disciples didn't go back. They turned the world upside down. Saul was the one who went back. And what's he known as? The man with all the potential in the world who never quite did anything with it. One of the things in pastoring, I've been a youth leader now for, goodness, how long were we youth leaders? Eight, ten years? I don't know. A while. And then, a pastor now going on almost 12. And this is probably the thing that bothers me, that frustrates me, that, oh, it's so hard to get used to and you never still get used to it. Here it is. Watching people that have all the potential in the world walk into the church and never do anything with their potential. It's one of the most difficult things to see. When I say potential, I'm not just saying natural talent. I'm not just saying, oh, what an incredible singer. What, oh, what a gifted speaker. No, no, just there's a calling. There's an anointing. There's something that God has put them. There's a skill set that God has given them for the kingdom. And they walk in and they sit down on a pew and they actually never do anything with what God's given them. Because in some ways, it's just more comfortable at mom and dad's house than it is to try to press forward and walk on this journey of faith where I really don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's going to happen when I teach my first Bible study. I'm not sure when I, when I jump up and join the praise. I don't know what's going to happen when I start teaching Sunday school. I don't know what's going to happen when I start inviting people, when I start praying with people on the job. Say, I'm not really sure about that. So I better just go back home. And God never does anything with that because he's not allowed to. But when we go forward and say, I'm going to just give it a shot. I mean, like, I'm outnumbered, but God, from what I can see, he never needed all the numbers on his side. God did things when they made no sense, when, when situations looked impossible. So I'm going to step into this impossible situation, and I'm just going to give God a chance to be God. Well, I was going to pray for that person when they were sick up there, and I just didn't want to go pray with them because God just never spoke to me. God never said, go and pray with that person. And so I'm just going to follow the voice of God, and God didn't speak to me. I, I beg to differ. You know what I like to do? If I know someone's sick and I see them searching God, I'm going to say, God, I'm going to walk over there and lay hands on that person, and I'm going to give you a shot to be God. If they walk away and they're still sick, guess what? Nothing changed. They were sick when they walked up there. I have faith. That God can heal that person. So I'm going to walk up and say, in the name of Jesus, I pray, be healed in the name of the Lord. You know why we're afraid to do that? Because we're too much in the equation. How does it look to me? How do I look? Because we take things a little bit personal. This is not my heal. I'm not the one that healed that person. I'm going to give God a chance to be God. Well, this girl was talking about the job, and this guy was saying this, and they were talking about their marriage and their frustration. They were talking about this, and I, and I thought about inviting them to church, but they never really said anything, so I, I didn't, well, why not try? 
Because when we step out and start to do these unknown things, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the end of the story looks like. But perhaps, but perhaps, I'm not going to let insecurity rule and reign. You see, Saul, he started chucking javelins and spears at the greatest warrior in Israel because people were singing his praise. You know, Lot's wife, she turned back and became a pillar of salt. The Israelite generation that said, we should, we, we, uh, no, we, we, we got to go backward. We shouldn't go forward. They, that generation never saw the promised land. Well, with the exception of two, in Numbers 13, when Joshua says, hey, you know, or Moses says, let's go scope out the promised land, sends 12 people, one representative from each tribe, and they go check it out, and they come back. Joshua and Caleb are pumped, and they start hearing 10 reports. They're huge. They're carrying grapes on their shoulders, and they're, they're, they're giants, and oh, man, they're giants, and Joshua's like, dude. Who cares if they're giants? Doesn't that sound like a similar attitude that comes later in Israel's history? We need more people in the church who have the attitude that says, who cares if they're giants? Who cares if we're outnumbered? We need more people like that. Who cares? And they're like, they're listening to 10 reports. They can't do it. They're too big. The walls are huge. They're thick. They're big. They're carrying big old grapes. I just don't even know. Joshua and Caleb are like, let's go grab our stuff today. We don't even need to train. Let's just go. But isn't it interesting that God doesn't just have a plan individually for people. He has a corporate plan for the church. Not just individuals, but when all of the individuals aren't walking in their calling. Can that sometimes affect the corporate plan? Because God had a, had a great victory plan for Israel that day. But 10 people said no. Two people said yes. Those two did get to get in the promised land. But it was years and years and years later. And all the generation of the ten and their family, they never got to see the land of promise. God's, God, God's already prophesied and has things for this church. This God is going to do amazing things, things that we have never seen or experienced through Refuge Church. He's going to do it. It's going to happen in the city of liberty. It does not matter who's in charge, who's doing what, who serves in which positions. God has already spoken. It's going to happen. My burning passion in my heart is I want, I want to be the one that's a part of it. I don't want 40 years to pass and my grandkids and great-grandkids are the ones that are going to lead the, the, this to the place of promise. I want to be a part of that. I, I want to see the promise come to fruition. But in order to do that, we need more people to say, let's do it. There's giants where I number to do that. Let's, let's go. Let's get this thing done. Let's be who God has called us to be. You see, and that was their attitude. Because the ten said, let's go back home. But two said, let's go forward and give God a chance. You see, oh yeah, sure. God had to knock down huge Jericho walls. God had to part the waters again. Not just the Red Sea, this time the Jordan River. He had to step in and give them a, a victory against nations that were way stronger and had more numbers than them. 
But he did it because their attitude was, let's just go forward and give God a chance. Please remember something. The crowd usually goes backward to safer places. When you want to press forward into things in the realm of the supernatural, you will almost always be in the minority. The crowd does not live in the miraculous. The crowd lives in safe places. God's calling someone here today. He's calling you away from what's comfortable, what's known, what's safe. He's calling you beyond the realm of attending a church and sitting on a pew and hearing preaching and listening to music. He's calling you into a ministry. He's calling you into a place where he's going to start to do miraculous things. He's going to start to say, you know what? Two people, hey, one person, I can take on a giant. Where's Goliath? Two people says, I can take on 20 of the enemy. It doesn't matter. I can walk up to the city of Jericho and begin to shout and worship God and watch their walls crumble. I, I, I want to, how many stories does God want to write about us, but we're not giving him a chance? How many supernatural things in the next seven days between now and next Sunday when we come into this church, how many supernatural, miraculous things can God do through about 130 people in the next seven days? If 130 spirit-filled believers lived their life intentionally for the next seven days and everywhere they walked and every person they talked to, they were like, God, what do you want to do here? God, could you accomplish something here? God, could you change this situation? Lord, are you trying to speak? God, are you opening this door right now? What could you do? And then over the next seven days, 130 individuals lived their life intentionally. What would God be able to do between now and next Sunday? I think that we'd come back and there'd be signs, wonders, and miracles. There wouldn't be enough parking. There wouldn't be enough seating. People would be sitting next to you that you've interacted with, that you've prayed with, that miracles were done, that relationships were restored, that people would be starting Bible studies. They'd be here hungry for God. Why? Because they had an experience with somebody who just dared for seven days in a row to step out and say, I don't know what's going to happen. Perhaps, perhaps I'll die. Perhaps God will do a miracle. But you better believe this. I am going I'm willing to die trying. I am going to go forward rather than going home to mom and dad's house where it's safe. I'm pressing forward and saying, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but you better believe this. I'm giving you a shot. Sure. Red Sea's in front of you, and Pharaoh's army's behind you, and the walls of Jericho are blocking your promise, and the enemy's outnumbering you 20 to 1, and it might cost you your life, but if the church will say, I am going to press forward, and I'm going to give a God a chance. And I'm almost done. So what will it be, church? What will it be? What will it be? These are the messages that get the church thinking. They get the church thinking because, you know what? We have to go, all right, what am I going to do? What am I going to be? Where am I going from this place? You're watching online? Hopefully you're enjoying the service, the music, the message. I pray that you, I pray that you love it and you enjoy it and you'll come back and tune in again. You're here today, same thing. Pray that you enjoyed yourself, felt loved, felt the power and presence of God, and you'll come back again. But being his church in the 21st century, 
You look at the Old Testament, what his plan was for his people. You look at the New Testament, what his plan was for his disciples. You look at what he, his plan never, his plan was never to just meet in a safe place and just have church. It's never his plan. He took his people through wilderness experiences. He himself went through a wilderness experience. He took his people up against Red Seas and armies and plagues and, and took his people to the Jordan River, huge walled cities, people that looked like giants. He had them outnumbered on purpose. He called disciples, but every time he calls someone, he calls them out of something and into something else. And usually it's out of what is known and into what is unknown. And he does it all over and over and over again. Old Testament, New Testament, all the time. It's the same story. I'm calling you out of that and into that. That's what you know. This is going to be unknown. That didn't take faith. This is going to take faith. But if you trust me and if you go forward, yeah, but there's a Jericho wallet. Go forward. Begin to shout. But there's a, there's a Jordan River. Go forward. Let the high priest, let the sole of their feet touch the. Yeah, but the Red Sea's there. Just go forward. Yeah, but the Egyptians are back there. And he's like, just watch what I do. Just go, go forward. And he just keeps saying the same things. Just go forward. Yeah, yeah, but should I go say bye to my mom and dad? I know you called me, Jesus, to be a disciple. You just go forward. Don't need any time to go back to mom and dad's house. Remember he says that in the New Testament? He, he's not against family, but remember, he says, if you, who's fit for the kingdom? You got to run back home and say bye to mom and dad. He's not against family, but he was saying there is a mission, and I'm calling you out of everything that you've known and everything that's comfortable, and I'm calling you into the unknown. But if you will follow me into unknown places, boy, I tell you what. You're about to see blind eyes open, the dead raised, the lame walk. You're about to see signs, wonders, and miracles. You're about to see thousands of people filled with my spirit. You're about to plant churches all over Asia Minor and the entire known world. He says, I got a land of promise. You think those are big grapes. Those are the things that I've already set aside for you. But he just needs a church. He just needs a church. So what will we be for the next seven days if every place we go, every conversation we have, God, what do you, what do you want to do here? Lord, is there an opportunity right here? Jesus, are you opening the door for a conversation? Oh, but there's roadblocks everywhere and there's just a he keeps saying, go forward, go forward, go forward to God. I don't know what I'm going to, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I'm going to give you a shot. Here goes nothing. I'm going to ask for a Bible study. I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to invite this person to church. I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to pray with this person. I don't know if they're even going to like it. I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to start going forward, and I'm just going to give you a shot to be God everywhere I go. The church, we do a great job, not just we, but American churches, we do a great job giving God a chance to be God when we gather in church buildings for services. Oh, spiritual gifts. We'll pray with people. We'll come to the altar. Like, oh, we'll worship him. We do awesome giving him a chance to be God in church services. But now we have to move to the realm of giving him a chance to be God on Monday morning, on Tuesday afternoon, on Thursday night, on Friday night, 
everywhere we go. God, do you want to be God right here? God, you open this door? I'm going to move forward, God. I'm going to move forward. So where are we going? Are we going backward or forward? As a church, are we going back to safe places? Are we going forward into unknown places? And isn't it interesting as you stand to your feet? Isn't it interesting? The way that we've built churches in our culture. Altars are always at the front of the building. And the exit doors are usually at the back. And at this moment in your life, it's way easier to just head out the exit. But the altars are put at the front. Backward or forward. Even this week in our lives and our ministries, first words were often dictated what people were going to do in the Bible. And after services, you know what often dictates what we're going to do? First, first steps. I want my first step be to be to an altar. To a place where I can examine myself and the Bible says that this body is a living sacrifice that I can put that thing on the altar. God, Lord, use me. Jesus, let me be like Jonathan. Let's go forward and give God a chance. Let me be like David. Let's go forward and give God a chance. Let me be like the disciples. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to give him a chance. Peter, the guy was a knucklehead, a crazy dude half the time. But he's like, is that you? I'm going to jump over this water and I won't be the first human in history to walk on water. I'm going to give you a shot. That's the life. We need more like that. So where are you at? What are you going to be this week? Live in safety or live in faith? I invite you right now to come forward and find a place to pray, to find a place of consecration, find a place where you just say, God, help me. I want to be what you want me to be, God. I want to be the man or the woman that you want me to be. Nothing short. Jesus, what could you do in my life over the next seven days? What could you do, Lord, if I just gave you a shot to be God? What are some of the things that you could accomplish, God? Lord, you could do signs, wonders, miracles. You could change lives. You could develop things in me that have never been there before. I'm not going to sit around saying, well, I'm the least of this, and I come from this family, and I just don't have much to offer. No, 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 no. If you're calling me, I don't care if my family's not known or it's the smallest family in the community. I'm going to go forward, and I'm going to give you a shot, God to do what you can do through my life and in my life, Jesus. God, help us as a church to be what you are calling us to be.